Well, it is a big day. The end of an era, which is kind of exciting because it's the start of a new one as well. This is, this, this is good. You know, just recounting some of the things that God has done in this building, I, kind of, I remember all too clearly how a whole lot of us felt when we first started. Um, I won't go into all the details of that right now. Let, let me just say, you know, the ideal when you're planning a church is you start, you know, absolutely passionate and strong and full of faith and joy and, you know, all that really good stuff. And, you know, we were still feeling pretty, pretty busted up and, and um, we're still getting healed from our previous season. And, um, but we knew God had spoken. And I remember the very first week of the, the life of this church which was um, at someone's house on January the 1st, 2013, I think it was. And, you know, again, you know, faith, power, all that stuff. Deb and I opened that by going, you know what, we're not doing so great. I'd really appreciate if you'd pray for us. <laughs> um, but one thing that did do was stamp vulnerability and no performance on the culture of this place from the get-go because we weren't going to fake it. And I hope we never, ever will because performance... The whole religious thing that, you know, you have to look like you got all your stuff together to come into the presence of God is, it's just bubkas. <laughs> That's a theological term. Um, and what the Father's heart really values is doing real, is just doing honest and pouring out our heart before Him and saying, God, this is where my heart's at. Can you meet me here? And He always does. And that's the cool thing. So... Um, when we have dinner tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit more um, very briefly about what's coming up and um, I want us to do a really quick kind of thank you video to the Uniting Church of all of us kind of crowded together going thank you. I want to show that to them on Tuesday when we get, give the keys back because they've been so generous to us um, in giving us, I don't know, I can't count, four years? I think, yeah, most of the people, I, most of my friends I know who have planted churches would kill for the sort of start that we've had in a building like we've had. Um, and, you know, the Uniting Church have been really awesome to us. So I want to just make sure that we bless them back and thank them um, because it is not at all insignificant. So I want to pick up from last week and kind of round off. I think I'm going to round it off anyway. We'll see. <laughs> um, this concept of um, you know, the prophetic words we've been diving into for 2018 and uh, Deb did a great job in the first couple of weeks of, of unpacking that. And um, last week I started picking up on this idea of taking ground, that 2018 is a year to take ground. Last year we wanted to wake ourselves up, we wanted to get clearer on who we are, what, uh, who God has made us to be and begin to step into that. And now we feel like it's time to take some ground. It's time to actually occupy some new territory. And last week we talked about a few key things. One, one of the foundations was we live life from the inside out. You know, life happens inside first and then our external world is often a manifestation of our internal world. And we also talked about the fact the kingdom is always advancing. You know, Isaiah 9 says, of the increase of his government out of peace, there will be no end. You know, when God said, let there be light and the universe was created, it actually hasn't stopped. The universe is still expanding. We, I checked this with, you know, my, my sciencey sister-in-law here, um, who has a significantly higher IQ than mine. Um, and uh, the universe is still expanding. So God spoke, let there be light, and it hasn't stopped to this day. 
and she was very smart because she married Warwick, of course, of course. Warwick's keen to point that one out. Um, I can't disagree, of course. Um, but his kingdom is always advancing. So if we are standing still and just occupying ground, we're actually moving backwards because the kingdom is advancing. So the kingdom journey is always one of advancement. And from that, this whole idea of, of taking ground, I said, what I want to talk about is the world within you. And this is part two of that. And yet part one, God spoke to Joshua's internal state. And he said, be strong and courageous. He said, be strong and very courageous. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. And in my mind, that says, man, I'm up for some scary stuff if he's going to say that to me three times. But apparently it worked for Joshua because whenever God speaks, he brings with it the empowering to fulfill that. We talked about focusing on who you are becoming and not just what you are doing. You know, are you advancing, expanding on the inside, not just completing tasks on the outside? That was the essence of last week. This week, I want to build on that a whole lot more. So if you have a Bible there, let's go to Luke chapter 10. I want to start there and then take a little bit of a journey around and uh, hopefully bring this into land right on time so that we can have some dinner and celebrate and have some fun. Luke chapter 10, verses 5 to 9. Now, none of you have heard me talk into this before, and I'm going to pull some similar things. But this was a great example of taking ground. Jesus, had, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus had sent out the 12 disciples, given them the power and authority, and they'd come back and some good stuff happened. Um, some interesting stuff happened as well because they start competing over who's going to be the greatest and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, most, mo most leaders would go, well, I've sent you out and you've come back all proud and obnoxious and, you know, well, that's it. I'm not doing that again. I'm putting you under discipline. I'm putting, you know, whereas Jesus thought it was such a great idea that he sent out 72 more. So he was way less perfectionistic than we are. Um, so he said, um, I'll go from verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That, that's exciting because wolves tend to eat lambs. So I'm sending you out as food to a bunch of really hungry dogs. Awesome. <laughs> do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone along the road. Now, this is the bit where I want to pick up on. He says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. Now, I've got a lot of friends in Byron Bay. And that just sounds like peace, you know, like this kind of cool, hippie kind of greeting of, you know, peace, brother. But as it turns out, this is more than just a, this is more than just a greeting. Here's why. Because he says, if someone or if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. In other words, they knew when it bounced. So this was more than just a greeting. This was an impartation or a transference of a blessing in spirit because they knew that if it fell on... Um, receptive ground, their peace rested on them, but somehow they knew that if this was not fertile ground or receptive ground, it was going to, it was going to bounce back at them. Does that make sense? This is, in other words, this is not just, hey, peace, brother. This is actually a spiritual interaction, a spiritual transaction that's taking place. Um, it says, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. Now, that is a promise from God right there. That's one of my faves. All right, moving on. Um, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. He says, when you enter a town and you're welcome, eat what is offered to you. See, it's said twice. This is God. <laughs> he says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. 
But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust um, of your town, we wipe off our feet as a warning against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So he says, say peace. And then he says, if a person of peace is there, your peace. Now, this is important. Whose peace is it? It actually says your peace. It doesn't say God's peace. It actually says your peace. That's interesting. So that word peace there um, in the Greek sounds something like Irene. So if your name's Irene, your name is really peaceful, which is awesome. Um, The word peace literally means um, a set of favorable circumstances involving peace and tranquility. And it also means freedom from anxiety and inner turmoil. Now, that's, that's not a bad blessing. I wouldn't mind that coming my way any day of the week. So let that, that freedom from anxiety and inner turmoil, let that come from you onto them. So let, let me pose a question, which a number of you have heard me pose before. So if you did take your internal state, all of your emotions, your feelings, and the thoughts that are tied, with up, are tied up with that and released it upon another person, would they consider that a gift or a project? <laughs> Look, none of us are perfect, I'm saying, but, but here's the thing. What he's saying is the kingdom, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy, according to Romans. So take your peace, take the kingdom that is within you and release it on them. Why we talk about taking ground in us precedes taking ground through us. Here's one of the reasons. Because it was actually their internal world that they released onto another person. And the other person, there was, there was a transaction that happened where the other person had some idea of what was going and they were either receptive to it or not. So one of the ways that Jesus taught us to take ground was from the ground taken in you, the peace, the freedom from inner anxiety and turmoil that is in you, release that on them. That's a gift. Now the result of this, if we go down to verse 17, it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rather that your names are written in heaven. Now, when I grew up, some of you might argue that that hasn't quite completed yet, but in somewhere in my growing up years, as I read that, my interpretation of this was, well, Jesus was there in creation when Satan was kicked out of heaven. He's like, hey, you think demons submitting to you is impressive? I saw Satan get kicked out of heaven. It's kind of like, I'll see your joy and raise your tent. But, but that's almost a little bit boastful. Like, yes, he did. And it's like, okay, yes, you're the son of God and you have a bit of an advantage or something. Well, in theory, that's what I thought back then. That's a whole nother rabbit warren. I'm not going to get stuck there. But what I always thought was that that was talking about Jesus observing Satan's fall in the beginning. But if you actually read the tense of the original language there, it's actually saying something a little different to that. If you read it in the New American Standard Version, it says, I was watching Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, it's a bit like, while you were in the pool, I was watching the cricket. Which would be an entirely reasonable thing. 
<laughs> well, you were in the pool, I was watching the crowd. That, that's the essence of the tense in the original language there. I was probably eating as well because this is what it says to do, eat whatever's before you. And if I put myself before the fridge, I just eat whatever's before me. Find that distraction. Um, if you look at the Passion Translation, it says this and makes it a whole lot clearer. It says, Jesus said, while you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. In other words, the 72 went out releasing their internal world onto those around them. They came back saying, demons submitted to us. Now, we, we took ground, baby. We, 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 we took some ground. And Jesus is not saying, hey, I've seen bigger things than that. He's actually saying, not only did you take ground, but while you were ministering, I watched Satan fall like lightning from the second heaven over this region. In other words, you took ground in the spirit realm. You didn't just take ground on the ground where you could see. You took ground over this entire region. And I saw Satan fall from his place in the second heaven where he keeps people captive. I saw him topple like lightning from heaven and hit the ground. In other words, you took some serious ground there. That is taking some ground. So this was a present reality. In other words, Jesus saw Satan dislodged from the second heaven over that region as they took the world that was in them and released it on others. So the idea of getting ourselves in a place where we're free from inner anxiety and turmoil, that is a place where we take some serious ground. And we often think that's just for us. I don't think so. I mean, yes, it is. And if, you know, if it was just for you, Jesus would die on the cross and, you know, that, that would be fine. But there's so much more than that. Because as you take ground in here, you release it onto others and you take ground out there. That's some cool spiritual warfare right there. Now, I want to continue on this idea of taking ground on the inside. Let's go to 3 John chapter 2, 3 John verse 2. There's only one chapter in 3 John. 3 John 2. It says, I pray that you would be in good health, so that you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Pray that you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Now, last week, one of the things I talked about with Joshua and as God spoke to Joshua's internal state, his aim was to create an internal ecosystem that meant that out of that, he naturally took ground. Because God said, be strong and courageous. And then he says, you know, meditate on, on the word, meditate on the law day and night. In other words, meditate. And the law was the record of what God had said and done. So he said, meditate on that day and night, and then you will make your way prosperous. It's a bit, there's that your thing again. You know, it's your peace. You will make your way prosperous. Not do this and I will bless you and I will make you prosperous. He says, do this and you will create an internal ecosystem in you out of which you will naturally prosper out here. That's the idea. And in 3 John, we see it again that you prosper. Prosperity out here is preceded by prosperity of soul in here. So what I'm suggesting is if we're going to take ground in 2018, we need to pay way more attention to our inner state than we have before. And what I'm not talking about is firmly planting our own heads up our backsides. Let me just say it. I'm just going to put it out there. There's no way, for, no way back from what I was thinking, so that's what I'm going to say. This is not about putting our heads firmly up our backsides. 
what this is, is about seeing the power of the cross applied to every realm of our heart and soul to the point where the, the freedom that Jesus paid for on the cross is actually our experience, not just our theology. That's the idea. So what I want to suggest is that we need to pay in order to get to this place of prosperity of soul, our soul involving our mind, our will, and our emotions. You know, we're taught a lot to, to watch how we think and to, to, um, to take thoughts captive. But in the church, emotions have been given a fairly bad name historically, especially in the Western church. And I want to suggest part of this prosperity of soul involves paying way more attention to our emotional world than we're used to. Why am I saying that? Well, I grew up in an environment that, that always put the thing, you know, it was up on the screen, it was in the workbooks that said, you know, there's facts, then there's faith, and then there's feelings. And feelings are like the big caboose on the end of the train that just cannot be trusted. You don't pay attention to them. You suppress them. You push them away. Because the fact is, Jesus died and rose again. Therefore, you put your faith in that. So your feelings are irrelevant. They are not to be trusted. Now, can our feelings lead us to a really deceptive, bad place? Of course they can. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not being unrealistic about that. But what... While that was very well intentioned, where it led us to a place, where it led us to was, was, is to a place of emotionally dysfunctional spirituality. In other words, well, the truth is the truth. It doesn't matter how you feel. So push your feelings aside. Just declare and confess the truth, believe the truth, and everything will be fine. And of course, what that largely led to was uh, emotional breakdowns, affairs, relational breakdowns, depression, anxiety, a whole lot of really awesome stuff. Didn't work out so well. Yeah. <laughs> and it also leads us to missing out on the resource that emotions are. I mean, does God have emotions? I mean, if we're made in his image for a start, then I think we got them from somewhere. I don't think they just kind of rocked up after creation and God went, oh, I didn't mean for that to happen. Ooh. Man, you guys better suppress that stuff. That was way an accident. You know? I, I don't think that was the design because you know, I read in Scripture, you know, God got angry. I read that God delights, that He rejoices and dances over us. That's an emotional experience where I come from anyway. Jesus wept, absolutely. So emotions are not this bad, evil thing. And right now, I mean, I spend a lot of time in, uh, in corporations um, teaching and working on this thing of emotional intelligence. And I think right now the corporate world's probably ahead of the church in understanding how to manage this world inside. You know, we, we typically push emotion aside, focus on tasks, try and you know, leave your baggage at the door and come in and worship. You may have heard that in church um, somewhere in your past. I hope you don't hear it so much in here because it's not how we want to roll. But if we do that, we also miss out on the resources that emotions are. Because if you shut down the bad, you also shut down the good. You can't selectively shut down your heart. And if you also shut down the bad, you also shut down the very place where you experience the presence of God. And that's, that's not a great idea, in my humble opinion. See, we actually behave out of our emotions. Our emotions are actually the energy behind our behavior. So... If I was to come, and this is obviously hypothetical, if I was to come and punch Wazza in the head, which of course I'm not going to do, this is entirely hypothetical, because I know his little finger is a registered lethal weapon and he would take me down, but 
I can't do that usually, like most people, I can't do that unless I'm angry first. No, you don't usually do it happy unless you've got some other form of problem that needs medical treatment. (laughs) Typically speaking, we don't do that sort of thing unless there's an emotion that leads us there. So when we talk about emotional intelligence in the workplace, one of the things we talk about is creating the kind of emotions that make the desired behaviour easy. So when your team wins the grand final, how easy is it to... It's not hard. Yes, don't we know this? Jane did a big happy dance, thank you, Philadelphia Eagles, a couple of weeks ago. But because we shut that part of our world off, we actually make all the things that we say we need to do and want to do a whole lot harder because we actually rob ourselves of a resource. Now, that, that's, I could spend two days on that and I actually have the workshop ready to go. It would be very, very easy. But what it, where I'm getting here is we need to find a much more emotionally authentic and emotionally healthy spirituality that actually realizes emotions are part of how we are created, so let's understand them, let's get in touch with them, uh, and let's help them understand what our heart and our soul is saying. Because when we shut down our emotional realm, we actually shut down the voice of our heart. And if we're in pain and we're hurting and we push that away, our heart gets the idea, well, I don't have a voice, and we feel increasingly disconnected from ourselves, and then wonder why we feel depressed, anxious, and the like. David had a lot of emotions. If you, I'm going to read just parts of one psalm to you, Psalm 55. If we think that emotionally shutting down is a really good idea, well, let's have a look at David. So I'm looking at Psalm 55 if you wanted to follow along. Otherwise, feel free to just listen up. He says, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me. I am distraught. There's an emotion. Because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. There's some pretty intense emotions he's expressing there. But the thing that he is doing quite brilliantly here is he's giving his emotions a name. Now, I could go into the whole brain science that tells you that your neocortex feels out of control and anxious until what's go- it gives what's going on in your emotions a name, which is one reason why guys in particular tend to struggle with depression and anxieties because we're really bad at naming emotions. I won't go into all of that, but David was really good at giving his emotions a name. Verse 6, he said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away, run away, and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. That is a very poetic way of saying, I want to escape this mess. So not only do you feel all these horrible emotions, he's very honest with, I just want to escape. This is some really serious emotional authenticity going on here. Fast forward to verses 16 and 17. Then he says, As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. So one of the things David did amazingly well was he was very emotionally authentic. He knew how to express the voice of his own heart. Yet how many of us, especially those of us who have been raised in church a long time, actually struggle to give voice to the things that are going on in here? 
to actually let it tell its story with some degree of um, connectedness to how we're feeling such that when we express it, we feel like what's in us comes out of us in a detoxing, healthy kind of way. So David didn't do the whole, I need to push all my garbage away, I need to leave all my at the door and come in and meet with God, which has been the mantra of the Western church for way too long. He actually brought it with him. He actually brought it in with him into the presence of God and he plopped it on the table and basically said, here it is, God, let's talk. Now, after doing that, at the very end, at the end of verse 23, David finishes with, but as for me, I trust in you. He started in anguish, despair, wanting to run away, wanting to escape. He brings that into the presence of God and comes out the other side with, God, I trust you. That's a great example of emotional authenticity right there. In other words, I bring my stuff into the presence of God. And I would say James even says, confess your sins. And I'm not saying bad emotions are a sin, but pick up the concept. Confess your stuff one to another that you may be healed. There's something powerful when we're with a tribe where we feel safe and we can just go, I am in anguish. I want to run. I want to escape. Um, I'm fearful. I'm scared. Walk with me. Pray with me. That, that's healthy. That's actually healthy. It's not a lack of faith. It's actually not a lack of faith. There are too many places that say, no, don't confess that. Like there's some superstitious thing might come upon you. If you confess that you're feeling bad, something might jump upon you. Yeah. Didn't manage to jump on David. He came out the other side going, I trust you, God. Now, one particular emotional experience that has the potential to completely dislodge us from our destiny is this thing called disappointment. I just want to, I want to land on this one for a moment because we're talking about taking ground. We're talking about individually and corporately stepping into the, full, stepping into the fullness of who we are and actually seeing our, if you like, our clock and our compass yeah, the way that we spend our time and the core energy of our life is actually spent taking kingdom ground in a way that we were created for. But disappointment has the potential to completely dislodge us. So disappointment comes when things haven't gone how we hoped or expected. Anyone, anyone had that experience ever? Yeah, once or twice. If you've been alive longer than about 20, 25 minutes, there's a fair chance you would have experienced some disappointment somewhere. And when that disappointment has involved a loss that you didn't want, then there's a whole lot of grief mixed up with that as well. And part of the way that we deal with the disappointment is we actually need to learn to grieve and to, and to grieve well. Negativity. You know, <laughs> if you've been in you know, spirit-filled versions of church um, for, for any period of time, you know, negativity is kind of the ultimate antichrist. Um, it's like, don't be Neo, don't bind that negativity and stop that negativity and negativity is your enemy and it'll kill you, know, all of those things. So they really speak heavily against it. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that negativity is good because if you do adopt a mindset and a whole philosophy of life that everything's going to go to poop, well, according to your faith, be it unto you. It's not going to work out so well. 
That said, what I've come to discover through years and years of walking with people's hearts is that negativity is often the voice of your unexpressed, unprocessed pain. Pure and simple. When your heart has been suppressed, when your pain has been pushed down and suppressed, it's like a kid that has been told, go sit in the corner and shut the heck up. And it might go to the corner and it might not speak loud, but it'll be whispering all sorts of stuff. I don't know if you ever did that as a kid. I never did, of course. But you know what I'm, yeah, someone else. You know what I'm talking about. When you tell a kid to go sit in the corner, there'll be a whole lot of negativity spewing out of their mouth because no one likes having their voice taken away. And I want to suggest if you're battling negativity, there's a fair chance it's your unexpressed pain and unprocessed pain. And the answer is not stop being so negative. The answer is let's engage the pain. Let's get real about what's going on on the inside. Let's see some healing happen in there. So how do we deal with disappointment? This is not in any way, you know, the whole textbook on, on disappointment. But a few kind of key pillars. The first one is get authentic. In other words, name the emotions, let them tell their story. This is not, as I said, this is not a lack of faith. This is called being honest. Some of the common emotions when disappointment's involved, anger, frustration, sadness, heartbroken, confusion's a biggie. You know, when things didn't work out the way I expected, confusion's a biggie. I don't understand what happened. I don't understand why it went that way and not that way when I did this and this and this. Confusion's a biggie. Disillusioned, numb, shut down. Discouraged, apathetic, resentful, powerless. That powerlessness is, is, is when something's happened to you against your will. Powerlessness is often this feeling of I've, I can do nothing. Um, guilty. But I want to suggest guilt often hides behind some others. Like um, in particular can hide behind anger. And I say, I'm just really, really angry when under the surface, actually, I just feel really guilty. That's not always, but sometimes it is. Feeling crushed. They're just some of them. Now, for many, if you've battled disappointment, that may, that may be more emotions than you've ever given voice to, right? Just in that little list right there. Because not a lot of us are great at actually giving names to our emotions. When I'm sitting with, especially with guys out in the corporate world, a lot of them are pretty senior and, you know, I've been around the, been around the traps a few times. But when I ask them how they're feeling, they can't say it. So I've got a deck of cards that have got emotion words all over them. So I just put out the words in front of them and usually they can pick them. They might not be able to say it straight out, but usually they can go, yeah, it's that one. So if you're struggling to put names to your emotions, literally go and Google emotions list. There's a lot of them. There's actually, in the English language, there's some 230 emotion words. So most guys know about three. Usually, I'm angry. I'm awesome because my team won or, yeah, I'm all right. That's the typical white Anglo-Saxon male emotional vocabulary. Um, but in all seriousness, go and Google emotions. Uh, go and just type into Google emotions list and it'll bring up a lot, a lot of words and just go, is it that one? Is it that one? Is it that one? Is it that one? That's just a simple start. And then invite God into them rather than try and push them away and go, I need to push this, this negativity. I need to push this, this disillusionment and confusion away so I can meet with God. No. Let's put it on the table 
and just go, God, can you meet me in my confusion? Can you meet me in my pain? Can you meet me in my negativity? Can you meet me in my disillusionment? Because his promise is a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Yet the moment he sniffs the slightest bit of humility and authenticity, he is all over you. Because that's the heart of a good dad. He's not religiously perfectionistic, waiting for you to clean up your act so he can rock in the room. So, oh, good, you've got yourself cleaned up now. Right, let's talk. That's, that's someone else. That's not Father God. That, that's not him. So getting authentic. Invite God in. God, can you meet me in my, whatever that emotion is? Can you meet me in my anger? Even when the anger is directed at him, you know, God is way less offendable than you think. For some way, we, we've, we've, we've somehow painted God as this um, highly offendable, insecure person that the moment we step out of line, he's just like, oh! <laughs> yeah, kind of like your hyper-religious auntie, you know, when you turn up to Christmas and put something in the wrong place, it's like, oh! God's not like that. (laughs) So get authentic. That's number one. Number two, ownership. Now, this applies in some situations and not not every. You know, if if you've experienced a a grief and a loss, um, there's a pretty fair chance that you don't really have any responsibility to take in that. Um, there, There have been times in my world where, you know, I've felt like, Aspects of my destiny have just gone to, gone to poop. Um, and there was loads and loads of disappointment, but one of the, there's a couple of times I can think of that. But one of the things that helped me get through that disappointment was to really sit honestly before God and go, okay, God, let's you and me talk about my responsibility in this mess. I had plenty of people to blame. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I could name them really, really quick. I could spell them. I could give you their phone number, their address, the whole lot. I knew exactly who they were, what they were wearing at the time, the whole deal. <laughs> and I could so easily pin it on them without a problem. But where I had to go was, okay, God, let's you and me talk about how I've contributed to this mess. Let's talk about the stuff that I need to own. What, what, what's been going on in my own heart? that has in some ways, not totally, it's not like I'm to blame for everything, I'm not going there, but in some way, how has my internal world manifested out here and contributed to this problem? It's not always a fun question to ask, but here's what happens when you get it right. I was at a program many, many years ago um, where we pretty much, you know, in a corporate space among workmates, get people's hearts out on the table, split them right open, open up all their pain, put them all back together and send them home feeling utterly transformed. And they even thank you for the experience, which I find quite amusing. Actually, I was at one of those this very week. Um, I just came home Thursday night from one of these very programs. But this is going back a number of years and um, we were doing this exercise outside on this amazing lookout uh, where people were doing some real vulnerability stuff. And this guy was sitting over there. He's a pretty big guy, probably as tall as me, probably one and a half times my width. Um, And yeah, he wasn't, overweight as such, he was just built like a brick outhouse. Um, And um, he's over the back there, and I didn't see it, but one of his managers, who was amazing at this stuff, um, saw what had happened and um, kind of sidled up to him and said, you're having a bit of an epiphany there, mate. And the funny thing is, an epiphany literally means a presence of Christ, or an appearance of Christ, and that's what they call it when someone has a bit of an aha moment, which I'm not going to complain about. Anyway, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's got this deep voice. Um, and so the manager kind of 
headed off into the, it wasn't the sunset because it was the morning, but headed off into the distance and just kind of let me do my thing. I said, mate, what's happening? And he said, oh, mate. <laughs> and like he's physically, like his hands are physically shaking at this moment. And, and he said, you know, all my life I've blamed everyone else for everything that's gone wrong with me. All my life, he said, eight years ago I got divorced and I thought, well, maybe I'm 10% responsible, but she's 90% responsible. And told this litany of stories of betrayal and, you know, stuff. And he said, but I've just realized the only thing that's consistent in all of these things is me. I'm actually the problem. He was physically shaking as he was saying this. Like this was a genuine like revelation transformational moment. Now, a lot of people at that point would try and settle down his emotions and calm him down and go, no, 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 it was her. She's, you know, serious. You're fine. You're fine. But I knew if I did that, I was going to completely rob him of a life-changing experience. And so what I said to him is, mate, you just got your life back. And he's like, I think I know. Because when it's everyone else's problem, I can't do anything about that. And my whole happiness is at the mercy of what any, everyone else does. I have no control over that. But as soon as he realized, you know what? I'm the problem here. The truth will set you free. And it literally did in that moment. And I just said to him, I'm about to give everyone a whole, yeah, about 45 minutes to an hour to, to just go and do their own action planning and reflection. So just do whatever you need to do. Just don't try and pull yourself out of this. Let this happen. And I'll check in with you in an hour or so. And um, so yeah, off he went. Checked in, checked in in again an hour, hour and a half later. And I said, mate, how you doing? I will never, ever forget the smile on his face as he looked up at me. I said, how you doing? He looked up at me and said, I'm doing great. Like, this guy just got his life back simply because he owned his stuff and realized I've actually got some power here. So when I'm talking about ownership, it's that kind of thing that I'm talking about is really getting honest and going... You know, one of my honest points was you know, looking back at some of you know, the, the dysfunction that I'd seen in, in a number of different environments. And then when I got really honest, I had to go, you know what, I perpetuated some of that stuff. I was just as involved as the people I'm blaming for that. So I only, not only I had to own it with me, I had to go and own it with a number of other people and clean up some messes that I'd made because I was a part of the problem. Not fun, not easy but deeply, deeply freeing. So that's ownership. So get authentic, ownership. What's been my role? Sit down with God, ask. Then let God touch it. Even your disappointment with him. God, can you meet me in my disappointment, even though it's directed at you? And just let him close enough to actually touch that thing. And then one of the things that helped me through numerous disappointments and it's not always easy because, you know, you have your hit list of people that you want taken down and you want justice and all that kind of stuff. But one of the questions I learned during some really disappointing times in my life was the question, God, who do you want me to be? Sorry, who do you want to be to me in this? And what do you want to do in me through this? Rather than can you fix or undo my circumstances, I found that was a completely useless, fruitless prayer. But just say, God, who do, you, who do you want to be to me in this? What part of your heart and your character and your nature do you want to reveal to me through this circumstance that I couldn't learn any other way? Because that takes the focus off my circumstances and puts it just to me and God.
Yeah, if we have to be really honest, which is just devastating, but yeah. Um, Isaiah 55 says really, really clearly, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Yet what that means is, though, no matter how amazing I think my perspective on reality is, I know about this much out of a whole lot more than my arms can go. One of the things that I've found in hindsight every now and then is that me responding in a way that increases my character may actually be setting me up for an upgrade that's way bigger than the loss I experienced. That's been my testimony a number of times over. That simply actually letting God do what he needs to do in the midst of disappointing circumstances actually sets you up for an upgrade that is way higher than the loss that you experienced. Even Job experienced that. And then in disappointment... We often focus on what we don't have and just simply reminding yourself of what you do have, the things in your life you are thankful for. It sounds simple. It's actually really hard to do when you're feeling crappy. (laughs) But just simply just stopping, have a really good look around. Okay, God, what am I thankful for? What do I have? I want to suggest, yeah, when we're talking about the world in us, the freedom from the inner inner anxiety and turmoil that disappointment is one of the key things that has the potential to, un- to dislodge you because disappointment is disappointment. In other words, getting unappointed from my destiny. Disappointment has the potential to dislocate you from your destiny, which is why as we take ground this year, let's, let's get that thing. We're not going to judge it because sometimes life really sucks. <laughs> let's get real. Sometimes stuff has happened that is really horrible, is really painful, is really difficult, and sometimes you had nothing to do with it. But let's get some healing in there. Because he wants to set you up with a legacy. He he wants to set you up for an impact that is bigger than you know. And I don't want any one of us to disqualify ourselves from that. So taking ground on the outside is preceded by taking ground on the inside. 1 John 4 verse 4, it says, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You've probably heard me say it before. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. In other words, the resource that I have inside of me is way bigger and way more powerful than anything the outside world can throw at me. This year, It's time for that to go beyond being a theology and a concept to being an actual experience and a testimony. Ground has been taken in me, so I'm ready to take ground outside of me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That's a place from which we can take some serious, serious ground. Let's stand. We're transitioning. You know, there's a chance to leave some stuff behind. Not so that the next church that comes in here can pick up all our disappointment and garbage and go, man, I feel so bad. (laughs) It's, It's not like that. But as we transition, we're crossing over. We're stepping into an upgrade in spirit. 
don't fully understand all of that and what that is. I just know that, that that's the reality. When we're transitioning, we're always transitioning to a higher place. For some of us, we've still got some battles going on on the inside and we're going, you know, man, if I released my state on you, you'd be, you'd be dealing with your own disappointment as well as everything I've just unleashed on you. It's time to get Jesus in there. And let's let him do what he does best. Let's let him do I-61. Let's let him do Isaiah 61 on all of us. Garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Anyone up for that? Anyone rather praise than despair? Despair sucks. (laughs) Garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I'm just having a complete mental blank on all the rest, though I know this chapter pretty much off by heart. Beauty for ashes. Oil of that's the one I was looking for. Thank you. Let's go for this. A crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. That is your destiny right there that your life would be a display of the majesty, the splendor, the glory and the goodness of God. And then from there, you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the places long devastated. You will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. In other words, where there is generational brokenness, healing in you means that stops here. It doesn't go to another generation. And there are battles that generations ahead of you will not, that you have had to fight. They will not have to fight because of your victory. And you will set people free in the very places where you have been held captive. And then there is this whole blessing. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion On your worst day, you get double. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion. Everlasting joy will be yours. That's our inheritance. Let's take some ground, people. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, just reach out to him. That is the mantle you put on all of us, not just because we're called I-61, but that's the mantle you have put upon our, on your people. And Jesus, you hung and died on a cross, not so that we can be left with our stuff. It is for freedom that you set us free. And I want to declare freedom over every person. Yeah, and while it would be awesome to go, you know, click our fingers right now and for every bit of yuck and stuff to be lifted off you right now, we know that freedom's a journey and a process. But I speak grace to you in the name of Jesus. I speak grace to you for that journey. I speak courage to face your own heart. You know, one of the things that so many people are most scared of in life is actually facing their own heart. And I speak courage to you in Jesus' name. I say this out a lot with business leaders. You know, when we get vulnerable, vulnerable vulnerability feels like weakness, but to everyone else, it looks like courage. So we speak courage to you to be real, to be authentic, to genuinely only do real. 
And to be able to bring our hearts into your presence, Father, and go, here's my heart. Can you meet me here? God, just we, we break off religious performance that says you have to get your act together before you can meet with God. Clean yourself up before you come in here. We just break that as a lie and a, and a thieving spirit in Jesus' name. And we just release you to be you. We release you to be where you are, noting that a smoldering wick he will not snuff out and a bruised reed he will not break. And God, for everyone in this room that is battling disappointment and is feeling disabled by it, we release grace, we release grace, we release grace to face that, to name it, to let it tell its story, but to do it with you. And as, as father of this house, I want to take a stand for every legacy in this room. That every person in this room, everyone who calls themselves a member of this family would leave a legacy that would go on for generations and generations to come that their children's children would call them blessed. We just give you permission, Jesus, to take ground in us so that we can take ground out there and show the world what love really is in your name. Amen.